1: back to the barely cool podcast how are you doing
0: actually ben it's called the barely ghoul podcast because it's october
1: i forgot it was october
0: yeah so guys get settled we're gonna tell you some spooky stories uh but first as you can tell the music is going and it's normal fun barely cool music but because ben has a funny story he said it's literally gonna make you no no, it's not gonna make
1: you (laughs) it's not gonna make you die laughing
0: but then but then we have after that we got some spooky stories we're gonna tell each other and try and get real scary. Uh, and then and then hopefully you guys also get scared. maybe the music will change to like sound like a campfire. It's all dun, late at night. Dun, Wouldn't that be cool?
1: Anyway we'll start with we'll start with I'll Ben's funny up. story. I'll open it up. I'll open it up. Tell so open it up. Today let me set the scene. Today I'm in I'm in the, I'm in using biblical Greek. Um, the class which is my Greek class yes where we learn Greek um, Greek class ends um, I'm talking to the teacher and, and uh, just as I'm as I'm leaving the class after talking to the teacher or the professor boom fire alarm goes off and instantly this I think I think in life we do so many fire drills that everything by default is a fire drill. So I hear, I hear the fire alarm go off, and I go, "It's just a drill." So I just... Oh, I see I, what
0: you're saying. I was confused for a second when you said everything by default is a fire drill. Oh, drive. I meant it was like, like
1: making I, craft dinner. <laughs> that's a fire drill. <laughs> I meant like every time a fire alarm goes off, I'm just like, it's right, a right? Like, it's so, just a drill. I got you. So I'm, I just walk. I'm walking so slowly out here, like I'm yeah. just strolling. Yeah. And you're like,
0: maybe I'll go grab a sweater.
1: Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, <laughs> and then, um as I'm walking down the stairs, I, I start like sniffing and it's like a little fiery and I was like, I'm like, it's it's nothing, it's still a drill. And yeah. I just keep walking, I get out the door, I'm like, that was nothing, it's still a drill. So I'm sitting in like the the, the uh, parking lot, just like thinking yeah. it's a, just like, I'm like talking to everybody, I'm like, this is a drill. And then flipping fire trucks come whipping around the corner. <laughs> no and I'm way. like, and I'm just sitting here like, this is a, like I literally wanted to go Back to Res and put my laptop to back. I have my out. laptop. No, like I literally had my laptop when oh. I was coming back from class, yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah. the dri- the fire thing went off, and I was like, yeah, I don't want to carry this outside. Like I'm gonna go put this back. Yeah, I'm and just then gonna I just, go walk it back in. I was literally on my way as I was walking down the stairs, and then I just ran into like a group of faculty that were leaving out. So I was like, this is gonna look weird if I if I go the other right. way instead yeah. of. Going like, hey guys, out give them. me a sec. Yeah. So I was just like, all right, I'll go outside, and then these flipping fire trucks come around the corner, and I'm like, this is a like this This is is real real? and i was like what happened (laughs) and so clearly as i was coming down the stairs by the residence buildings whatever i was smelling was something so so um the guys fire truck guys get out they're all running around the building looking for stuff meanwhile i'm like i'm like walking around to my to people who were like not in class and i was like what is happening and and all of them were like i don't know i just i was in my room and then um fire guys clear it all they they give us the go to go back in Um, fire guys yeah 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 the fire dudes um and then as we're going back in a fire guy fire dude walks out of the thing with just a big fan like a massive fan and i was like i was like why do you have a fan are you fanning the fire (laughs) <laughs> you, you're making the opposite it. of what you're yeah, supposed to do right and I was like what yeah. like what happened and so I get you called get, the wrong fire dudes you right? called the fire yeah. dudes who make fires bigger <laughs> mm-hmm. 1-800 will make your fire bigger but I literally yeah. so we get in and like this is like the, I, the only funny thing for me was that this was literally um the, the office this was literally the fire episode in the office we get yep. back in and there is uh, a cup of noodles burnt to a flippin' crisp in the sink. Like the cup of noodles, it didn't just like br- like burn, it caught on fire in the microwave and started like- what The heck? Started like the microwave was like on yeah. fire. And that's why somebody pulled the fire alarm? The fire alarm. Yeah. So the fan was to fan the smoke out of the residence buildings. After they got the fire out, oh my god! But I was like, I was like, this is not real. As I'm walking out of this building, meanwhile the residence building there was an actual fire yeah. that could have become an electrical fire, um, and nobody knows who did it. What do you mean nobody knows who no, did it? Nobody, whoever it was, um, as far, like who, people I've talked to at least, no. Nobody knows. <laughs> Out, no one's fessing up? Yeah, like I, I'm guessing whoever heck? it was was in the room, like in the residence lounge by themselves making food and no one saw them. Right. And, and no one's admitting to And no one's their coming noodles. clean, yeah. Like whoever did it didn't put water in the cup of noodles, they just shoved it in the thing. Shut up. Yeah.
0: So I must have been like, because my, my guess would be they put it in. Right. And then they were like, "Oh, it's gonna take like a minute and a half. Let me just go grab something." Quick. Yeah. And then someone else walked by, saw that's, a microwave yeah, that's or the microwave for the smoke. What happened? Yeah. But like, yeah, that's gotta be embarrassing, right?
1: Like, how do you how do you not put water in a couple? Like, yeah. I was I was blown okay. away, but future leaders of churches. But it was it was just the the whole like energy of me walking through the school and like, like yeah. I, I'm, I'm wondering what would have happened had I because my room is across from the residence lounge, so what would have yeah. happened if I had um like not passed those faculty and said I'm just going to head back right. to the residence because there's a drill, whatever, and like walked by and seen the cup of noodles like, <laughs> smoking and I'd be like, yeah. uh, this is real uh, but But yeah, it was like so weird. And it was like, it was, I just want to, I want to find who it was so I can call him Fire Guy. Yeah. Just like The Office, but no one will fess up. Make fun of him a bit. Where's the Dwight when you need him? Someone to run in and say who it was. Yeah, figure out whose cheesy pita it was. (laughs) But it was just like, it was just the whole like energy of me being like, this is not real. I'm just strolling out the school and then fire trucks whipping around the flipping corner. And I was like, all right, well... It's been a long time since I actually was like a part of a real fire drill or a fire, not drill, fire alarm.
0: Yeah, I'm the I've never really seen much. One time the, the church was on fire.
1: Like um,
0: What? Yeah. Like our church? Yeah. Well, not fire. really, but I'm exaggerating. I'm, I'm being hyperbolic for the podcast. Ah, I see. But we, it's actually like, a weird story. I'll tell it quickly, and then we'll get into the spooky story stuff. Cool. But it was a huge uh, storm that night, and
1: uh, <laughs> this is kind of spooky.
0: It was stormy. <laughs> it was it was legitimately stormy, and we normally it was a small group night. We were running uh, our young adult small group, and um, it, it was Jordan and Pages. And normally we did at their place. Um, but the power was out mm. at their place because of the storm. Mm. So they were like, should we just call it and not run? Or do we want to run and do it at like the church or something? Mm. So we're like, let's let's just do it at the church. So we were doing it at the church. We we're getting all like settled in, pulling up chairs or whatever. And then uh, the youth pastor, uh, Chris at the time, comes in uh, with Jordan... Uh, Mariah's husband mm-hmm. And so They come in They're like hey guys how's it going We're just dropping some stuff off Putting it in the fridge room And then uh, So we're like alright cool no problem uh, They like have a big like One of those big uh, Tupperware tubs Like mm-hmm. the big ones You mm-hmm. know what I mean mm-hmm. um, And and so they go drop it off And they're like alright guys have a good night Enjoy your small group whatever uh, You guys are the only ones in the building So just lock up when you leave We're like okay cool Mm-hmm. um so you know we're doing small group and then we just hear like in the distance we hear just like a like a kind of like like slapping sound almost yeah. and it goes oh, off like the crackling a, from a fire no like a no? slap like
1: a interesting
0: but like in the distance and then we're like oh weird like we hear one yeah and it's then like, whatever okay. it's a big building makes yeah. noises yeah, yeah. Creaky, AC, yeah. maybe, HA. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, later we hear another. I'm like, what is that? Mm-hmm. So we're like, we're kind of quiet. And then we hear, like, another. And in my head, what I'm thinking is it kind of sounds like, kind of sounds like when you're in the shower and you get a bunch of water. In oh, your I ribs, love doing that, bro. And then you let it go and it, like, smacks against the yeah, bottom of the... Yeah, yeah. That's, so my, what favorite, what that's thinking, my favorite
1: shower pastime.
0: Oh, it's great. Mm-hmm what I'm thinking right now is maybe there's some sort of weird leak in the in the like in the ceiling like because right. it's still storming that so clogs maybe and then it's, drops it's water slapping on like the gym floor right so that's right. what I'm thinking so I'm like let's let's like creep around to go check it out so we we're quiet and I start checking it out and then I hear like a, another one louder like in the in the fridge room uh so I'm like no it's coming from the fridge room so this uh, this was hilarious i open the fridge room door there's smoke billowing out of there uh it's illuminated like orange glow
1: right so there's a fire fire. yeah
0: uh jordan looks in and goes there's something going on in here
1: wow thanks which was the funniest observation jordan
0: (laughs) Very funny Uh, I go, we need a fire extinguisher Tony, who hadn't even been to the church Ducks into theater 2 Grabs the fire extinguisher that's in there I don't know how he knew it was in there Comes out, goes, does anyone know how to use this? I go, I do Pull the tab, whatever, go in Spray down the fire Back when we had an oven in there Right. The oven, so basically what happened We figured out after the fire was put out uh, Was the big tub was like a bunch of tuck stuff, and they put it down on the oven. But I guess it clicked the uh, turned a burner on. So what happened was it melted through the bottom of the tub and then lit the paper on fire. Started started burning like the, the cardboard the boxes and stuff. Cardboard boxes, yeah. and then the sound was pop cans exploding. That's
1: insane.
0: Yeah. What so, the heck? Yeah. So we we sprayed the thing down. stopped the fire. Uh, we were like, "What are we gonna do with this?" Right. Uh, I to- I talked to my dad, and, and then he was like, "We don't even use the oven. If you guys could take it out to the dumpster, that would be fantastic." So we took the like covered, like yellowy dust fire extinguisher covered oven out to the dumpster, <laughs> and then uh, just wiped down all the dust in
1: there. And then we we're like, "All right, that's crazy." <laughs> I mean, like, thank yeah. thank God you guys were there though isn't like, that so weird though because
0: like, we wouldn't have been there normally and the
1: building would have probably got set on fire yeah and like no one like that would have been so much damage because by the time like from a place that's so internal in the building there it would have been like yeah. a hot minute before anybody noticed that the building yeah. was on fire if anybody I noticed think, I think there's
0: I can't remember I, I, there's gas lines in there but I can't remember if my dad said they were active or not right
1: I hope they weren't
0: it was right by the, the cork board in there. Yeah. So, like, that would have gone up in an instant, yeah. and then there's the cupboard right across, and just, like, would everything would have, would have. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The fridge, yeah. wouldn't the fridge have, like, what happens to fridges when they burn? Like, isn't there, know. there? What? like, radon's running through that, right? Like, is radon flammable? Freon. A free, maybe it's free. I don't know. Yeah. Is freon I, must, flammable?
0: I mean, it's, I don't know. Probably. I don't,
1: I don't know. I'm not a firefighter. chemical.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a fridge guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, hey, thank God you guys were there.
0: Yeah. So, how's that for a spooky story? Yeah,
1: that's. I love the storm too. The way it was one. It was. A, <laughs> it was a stormy night, Friday the thirteenth.
0: It was very funny, but wow. Also cool because I got to use a fire
1: extinguisher for real. Yeah, I've never gotten to it before. I've always dreamed of it. I'm actually. I'm not entirely I've, sure how to use them though.
0: I've you well, and the funny thing is, is I've used one in the past, just for fun. Right. because uh, technically they expire. Right um if you don't check them or whatever right um and so my like one of my teachers in high school i guess like realized the fire extinguisher in the class was like expired so they had to order a new one and he was like do you want it and i'm like uh yes <laughs> uh, and then we just went out in like the middle of the night and like fired it off in some parking lot that's a dope not me and the teacher, me and some friends. I didn't go. <laughs> the <with teacher>.
1: <laughs> Yo, Mr <laughs> like, Mr. Brown, you're the coolest.
0: Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool to go do this? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um Yeah, so then I knew how to use it. It's really easy. You just like pull a pin. Yeah, like, I figure like I figure
1: when the time comes I'll figure it out. Yeah. Like I'm not i I'm not stupid.
0: It's pretty self explanatory.
1: And like usually I imagine that like if I'm if there's a fire with and I'm with a lot of people someone there probably knows more than me so it's like go ahead do it i don't care yeah that's fair it's only when i if i'm in my house which like i don't even know if i'll have a fire extinguisher in my house do you have a fire extinguisher in your house uh that's a good question i think there is one down here yeah we we have one i think they actually have to because yeah because we i was gonna say we have one too because we have to to be allowed to rent the house out because of our yes. basement tenants, you need to have a fire extinguisher in the upper and the lower to for yeah. it to be allowed. Um, yeah, I'm
0: pretty sure so, I mean, we have one. You're down living down. in a
1: rental property, so I, I imagine you probably do somewhere. Either that or your tenants are breaking the law! Report them! <laughs> I would never report yeah, Paul I and mean, Kathy. Paul and Kathy could literally murder somebody. I would keep it under wraps. They I don't just, think
0: they have i doubt they have
1: but they're too nice of people yeah i you know
0: you want to read some spooky stories with me yeah
1: i do i do i do i do i really do
0: i sent you a couple I okay so what we're doing here is because we did this last year we read some spooky stories and um i don't i think we were doing like um creepy pasta stuff mm-hmm mm-hmm um this year I'm thinking we'll find some stuff on Reddit cuz Reddit has a couple spooky story subreddits. Um so what I did was I went to no sleep, the no sleep subreddit, that's a spooky story subreddit. Yep, I just I'm sorted aware. by top of of the past year. And then I did uh, short scary stories as well and I did the same thing sorted by top of the past year. And um, these are so all I got true? a couple uh yes. Wow. I I mean, for the sake of the podcast, I will say yes.
1: Based on I, a true story. I,
0: like, I'm pre- the premise of No Sleep is that they, they... Like, that's their whole thing is, like, act like it's true mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like, even in the comments and stuff, like, they don't let people, like, call stuff out as fake. Like, even one of the rules of this subreddit is, I think, rule number, uh, seven? Eight? Rule number eight is everything is true here, even if it's not. Um,
1: and then I flew across the town. Yeah sounds, yeah, sounds, sounds, sounds legit to me.
0: And then my head exploded, but I still posted this anyway. <laughs> yeah. Alright, well... Do you want me to go first?
1: yeah, yeah, you go first.
0: Alright. Uh... So, uh, change the music now. You're welcome. All right, guys,
1: welcome to the
0: Fairly uh, Ghoul podcast. Barely Ghoul cool
1: podcast, we've transitioned.
0: So this one is called Dad Shut Himself Inside His Bunker at the Start of the Pandemic. Three uh-huh. months ago, we lost contact with him.
1: Frick you, Dad.
0: This was also posted three months ago, so I guess six months ago, they lost contact with him. All right. Dad shut himself inside his bunker at the beginning of 2020. He said the world was about to end, and when we didn't believe him, he told us to wake up. It was raining that day. I remember focusing on the water, hitting the window panes while my sister tried to change Dad's mind. I knew it was no use. He was too stubborn to listen to anyone, except maybe Donald Trump, who had just declared that COVID-19 had pushed the world into a pandemic. Dad wanted us to join him, and when we told him no, he called us brainwashed. He purchased the land before I was born. Only because of the dilapidated military facility that came with it. It was abandoned sometime in the 60s, I think. My sister was there from the beginning, even before Dad's obsession pushed Mom away. It's hard for me to imagine what he was like back then. Mom says he was a gentleman, but they married young, and a person can change a lot during those years. And so did Dad. All I remember from him during childhood are the weekends at the bunker. Constantly renovating it and stockpiling it with everything he would need to survive down there. It's always at the bunker. We couldn't stop him. He wasn't the best dad, not even a good one, but it was sad to see him go all the same. He was excited, even though he thought that civilization was about to collapse. I guess that happens when you spent your entire adult life preparing. We had to set up an old radio to keep in touch with him. He didn't trust mobile phones. We didn't hear from him often, just once a month, sometimes less. The last time he radioed in, he said he had found a hidden door. He was going to see where it went. That was three months ago. You think he's okay? My sister said. He wasn't in great health. I told him. We sat in the car, on our way up to check- On our way to check up on him, driving through the heat wave. His radio might have broken, I said. Let's not assume the worst. But I felt worried, too. There was something strange about that hidden door and his tone when he mentioned it. It doesn't sit right with me. But maybe it was just the heat and the endless desert around us that played tricks on my mind. I couldn't really tell. Oh my gosh, this is a long story. Alright. It was dark when we arrived. Dad's truck stood where he had left it beneath some tarp that blew in the chilly, sand-carrying wind. We turned on our flashlights and walked to the cliff above the bunker. The steel door was made to withstand a nuclear blast. Luckily, I owned the only spare key in existence. Before I used it, I banged on the door as hard as I could and yelled for Dad. I worried he would mistake us for intruders and shoot us. If he was confused and if it was dark, it was a real possibility. I banged again and yelled at the top of my lungs, ''Dad, are you there? It's me, Josh. Evelyn is here as well!'' ''I don't think he can hear you,'' Evelyn said. I nodded. Dad, I'm gonna open the door now. It's a, it's I was a, 17 the last time I was here.
1: It's what? a door to, like meant to withstand a nuclear blast. You think Dad all the way down in the bunker hears you? Hey. <laughs> you deserve hey. to get shot by an absolute <laughs> nutcase. Alright, go ahead. Sorry. I was 17
0: the last time I was here. Yeah, Ben, this is scary story time. Come on. I'm sorry, I You're like that guy it. at like the campfire. It's like... This didn't happen, but by the end of it, you're shaking in your boots. (laughs) What? I was 17 the last time I was here. Back then, it was the Muslims that were going to end civilization as we knew it. Before that, it was the Russians. Now it was China. There There was always something threatening his beloved freedom, and yet he was never truly free. My sister put her hand on my wrist just as I was about to unlock the door. You know, she said, maybe we should just call the authorities after all, and no, I said, he'll fight them. I unlocked the heavy door. A rancid smell escaped the darkness inside, it was the odor of death. I recognized it from when dad tried, and ultimately failed, to learn how to hunt and let a reindeer carcass rot on the property for weeks. My sister had already stopped visiting him by then, I didn't tell her what the smell reminded me of. She covered her nose with her shirt. We descended the spiral stairs, it creaked for each step we took, almost as if it was about to fall apart. I tried the light switch at the bottom, the click echoed throughout the long corridor leading to the living area, nothing happened. Hmm. I realized that the batteries which he charged by the use of an old exercise bike were dead. That meant he was most likely dead as well. The generator could be broken, I said, but maybe you should wait back here just in case you know. I pointed my flashlight in front of me. The light was too weak to reach the end of the corridor. On the way here, I'd, r- I'd felt ready. I felt sad, the kind of empty sadness you feel after the death of a parent that was never any good, but I didn't feel worried. Now, on the other hand, while staring into the dark corridor that I used to run through as a kid, I was afraid. The fear reminded me of how my childhood night terrors used to start. They always crept up on me, in the darkness grew with the grotesque shadows on my bedroom ceiling. I'm not letting you go in there alone, Evelyn said. We stay together. We walked into the darkness. The foul smell intensified for every step we took, and so did my heartbeat. I was glad my sister didn't stay behind. The bunker seemed so much smaller than I remembered it, much more cramped. The asymmetry between my memories and reality made everything feel off somehow. Just as if the bunker was merely a model of the real thing, but it wasn't. I had just grown up. The Confederate flag greeted us at the end of the corridor. Amen. It hung on the concrete wall. It looked pale in the hot spot of the flashlight, almost like a phantom. And of course, in many ways, it was a ghost from a long time ago. Or perhaps a corpse brought back to life, an abomination. It reminded me of Dad more than anything else. You have to be seriously confused to praise freedom as much as Dad and hang that symbol of lesser freedom in the world on your wall. He wanted to protect his freedom so much that he built a prison for himself. I removed the light from the flag, leaving only darkness. You bet he was confused. We entered the main chamber. It was overfilled with litter and clutter. Empty cans, both the food and beer kinds, lay scattered across the sticky floor. We had to take large steps not to step on any of the trash. That's weird. Evelyn pointed her flashlight at the small dining table. Look. My hair stood up on my neck before I even realized what she meant. The table was set for three people. I didn't say anything for a moment, trying to process what I was seeing, and just when I was about to speak, my sister interrupted me. Who the f-word was here with him? We don't know, I began. I mean, he might have left the old plates on the table, and a sound of something falling to the ground came from one of the other rooms further into the bunker. I pointed my light in its direction, but couldn't see what made it. Dad, I yelled. It's me, Josh. You there? No response. I'm afraid, Evelyn whispered. Something isn't right. I only vaguely heard what she said. My focus was on something else, something on the wall in the other end of the room. That's not supposed to be there. I slowly walked toward it. That must have been what he talked about over the radio. Dad had hacked away a layer of concrete, for whatever reason, and uncovered a rusty metal door behind it. It stood ajar. A lukewarm, musty breeze came out of it. My sister walked up to me as I carefully pried the door open with the back of my flashlight. I felt my heart in my throat. I could hear my sister begging for us to leave, almost in tears, but I needed to know what was behind that door. It was imperative to understand what had happened here. I needed to know. I needed closure. What in heaven's name? Evelyn looked over my shoulder. Why is this here? Behind the door was a room about the size of a broom covered. It was unremarkable except for a circular hole in the middle of the floor. I shone my light into it, but I couldn't see the bottom. Just as I thought it was big enough for a person, my sister said, Do you think he fell? Drops of sweat formed my forehead, fell down the pit. I felt dizzy and stepped back, afraid I would fall inside. My sister picked up a can filled with some rotten beans and threw it down the hole. It clattered against the walls as it bounced from one side to another. The sound faded away until we couldn't hear it anymore. There was no indication it touched down at the bottom. I stretched out my hand and held it above the opening. It's warm, I said. The air, I mean. Maybe he fell. Evelyn stepped back, almost as if she were convinced. Can we please get out of here? She reached for my arm. We can return with the police, please, Josh. It wasn't dark when Dad found this. He would have seen the hole. Josh, please? Just give me a moment to think. I walked toward the hallway that led to the other rooms, desperately hoping to find him. For some reason, it was important for me to see him, to be able to leave without wondering. I needed to know that he was truly dead. I just want to. I stopped myself after I accidentally pointed the flashlight in the floor in the middle of the hallway, revealing a pair of feet. I think I found him. I ran up to the body. Wait, Evelyn yelled and reluctantly followed me to avoid being left alone. It wasn't Dad. I screamed upon realization. My mind couldn't comprehend what I had just seen. I spun around and tried to run away, completely acting on instinct, and crashed into my sister. She grabbed me, kept me still, she looked behind me, down with the dead body on the floor. She began to cry while her hands trembling uncontrollably against my shoulders. Oh my gosh, she said, how is this possible? It's you. Let's get the F word out of here, I said. "Move." There was nothing that could explain this, and the more my mind tried to, moving in an endless loop doing so, the dread grew inside me. I only got a glimpse of the body before I panicked, but my sister was right. The half-rotten face was the same as mine, with a bullet hole in the middle of the forehead. We stumbled our way through the living area, tipping over chairs and kicking cans all over the place, and just as we were about to get out of the mess, a familiar voice echoed through the hallway we had just escaped. Josh? It was Dad. We both stopped in our tracks. Is that you, Josh? Dad, I yelled back. What the F word is going on here? Don't worry. It sounded like he was right at the other end of the bunker, possibly inside the storeroom. I killed the son of a b-word, put a bullet right between his eyes. Come out of there, I yelled. We have to leave. It's not safe here. Silence. Something is wrong, Evelyn said. I don't think... Dad, I yelled out. Come out. I can't move, Dad said. I'm stuck under a shelf. I'll need your help, son. I turned to my sister. Go back up. I'll get that old bastard out of there. We'll be right behind you, Okay. Think, Josh, Evelyn begged. You think he's been stuck under a shelf for- I should have listened, but even after what he had just seen, I just couldn't bring myself to even consider something as outlandish as what my sister is suggesting. It was simply too far-fetched, too unbelievable to penetrate all my layers of presumptions about reality. It couldn't be. It just couldn't. Hence, I ran back to the hallway, yelling for my sister to get back up to the service and wait for us there. I'm coming, Dad. I only slowed down to carefully step over the corpse that bore my face. Perhaps I thought it was just a coincidence, a burglar that just happened to look like me. After all, the face had begun to rot. It wasn't obviously me. I felt stupid, and I almost convinced myself that this was just my childhood fear of the dark coming back to life down here. And then, just as I was about to walk past a small composting toilet that stood inside a small room at the end of the hallway, I stopped. Shivers spread across my entire body, paralyzing me. Dad sat on the toilet, his gun still hung from his trigger finger, and his brain was splattered across the wall behind him. He had his journal in his lap, covered in blood. Josh, Dad yelled from the darkness, Help me! I was frozen in place, both by fear and confusion, unable to make any decisions. Come on, Josh, Dad kept yelling, I need your help, son. My mind was racing. There was no way of knowing who was who. When I heard Dad's voice yelling for help while watching his dead body, nothing but absolute terror reverberated inside of me. I slowly reached for the journal in Dad's lap and grabbed it. Hoping it would shed some light on the situation, I was just about to open it when my sister screamed. I ran back. This time, jumping jumping over my doppelganger's body, and found her looking at something in the corner of the main chamber. I told you do, I said, but changed my mind. Are you okay? What happened? It's, she cried. It's me. Crawled up in the corner was her naked dead body. Her head had been twisted in such a way that the neck had been broken. There's ser- something seriously wicked going on here. Dad shot himself in the head a long time ago, by the looks of it, and yet he keeps calling for help. Let's get back to the car now. We drove away from the bunker as fast as we could, leaving whatever was still alive down there, yelling for help. My sister insisted on staying at my place for a few days. I don't mind having her around. We shared an experience no one else could relate to, and we needed each other to overcome the trauma. It took a day for me to build the courage to open Dad's journal. It began with his usual deranged conspiracy theories. I flipped past them. At the end, he had only made short notes, found a hidden door, deep pit, possible the remains of some old black project. Evelyn and Josh woke me up. A surprise visit. Didn't hear them enter. Strange. Had dinner with them. Something seems off. It isn't them. They tried to make me illegible. God help me. It isn't them. I shot the son of a B word right between the eyes. Hiding in the bathroom now. This will probably be my last entry. God forgive me. Chills went down my spine as I read the last entry on the blood-drenched page. I never got the other one. She's still out there somewhere. I only got one bullet left, but I won't allow her to do that abhorrent thing to me. Forgive me my sister has been cooking for hours she just called me from the kitchen Josh come here I want to show you something and that's the story it's pretty spooky It's a little doppelganger story
1: Thank you guys for uh, for you know um, being patient here. And now I'm going to read another one from R Slash, No Sleep, and it's titled, "I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm 100% in over my head." Looks good. The music the music should be on. Let's get spooky again. <clears throat> I did one of those at-home DNA test kits, you know the ones that you can supposedly tell your ancestral makeup to help you connect with long-lost relatives, that sort of thing? The specific test I used had this option to make your DNA available to law enforcement. That way, if there was a partial DNA matched to a crime scene or victim, my DNA may help law enforcement identify the perpetrator. Maybe I shouldn't have opted in. The thing is, I've read about a lot of these things in the news. If you're a true crime fan, you know that these kits can sometimes lead police to catch decade-old serial killers and rapists that have long and looted capture. My thinking was that if one of my family members is actually a monster, well, I would want them behind bars, regardless of who it is. So I opted in, but I never really considered the possibility that there'd be a match. And then there was. I was contacted by my local police department and notified that my DNA had been a partial match to a Jane Doe and that they'd like my help in identifying her. That was honestly not what I was expecting. I was a match for a dead woman? Woman? (laughs) The police explained to me that our DNA profiles indicated we may have been related and that they wanted to know if I knew of any relatives who had gone missing or hadn't been heard from in the past five years. Five years? Yes, because they've determined her time of death was five years ago based on the state of her body when it was found. They have reason to believe it's a homicide, although they weren't able to tell me the cause of death Apparently, due to the state of her remains, it was impossible to tell. Well, I didn't know of any family member who had gone missing, but I don't know my extended family all that well. I decided to get my mother involved, who does genealogy. She worked with the police, going through our family tree, but ultimately we couldn't find anyone. So someone we didn't know we were related to was probably the one. At this point, we decided to talk to the rest of my family, immediate and extended, to see if anyone else knew anything. Most of our family members thought it was pretty cool and wanted to see the mystery solved, though a few were angry at me for giving my DNA to law enforcement in the first place. The police showed us a sketch of what they think the woman would have looked like, and my mother and I agreed she had some resemblance to my Aunt Linda, particularly in the strong brow and high cheekbones. The police decided to ask Aunt Linda and her two children, Ethan and Bex, to submit DNA and samples. They agreed. It took about two weeks to hear back from the police after their samples had been submitted. They probably weren't at the top of the priority list for the crime lab. When they did get the results back, they asked Bex and Aunt Linda specifically to come down to the station. Bex actually asked me to come with her. She and I were really close growing up, basically best friends. We'd lost touch over the years, but I still consider her a close friend. I agreed to go with her, even though I wasn't sure why she wanted me there. When the police told us what they found, to say I was shocked is an understatement. The DNA from Jane Doe was an exact match to Bex. Of course, my initial thought was that there had to be some mistake. I asked what the likelihood of that DNA matched Bex without actually coming from her. One in 5.4 billion, they said. They told us that this was extremely perplexing and that they had no explanation for the match. I asked Aunt Linda if Bex had an identical twin that nobody knew about. Maybe, but she shook her head. The police told us that identical twins don't actually have perfectly identical DNA anyway, so that couldn't explain the match. I was perturbed. I'm sure you can imagine why. Bex and Aunt Linda, though, were not. They laughed, actually laughed, when the police presented them with their evidence and shrugged it off. Isn't that just the weirdest thing, said Aunt Linda. They were both smiling and giggling the rest of the time, which clearly made the police uncomfortable. They told the police that they had helped Jane, they, they hoped Jane Doe could be identified one day, but that they were pretty sure they couldn't help any further, and then left the police station. I followed after them in a daze, confused both by what the police had told us and by Bex and Aunt Linda's behavior. On the way home, I asked Bex if it truly didn't bother her. She said, come on, Veronica, there's obviously been some mistake. It's just not possible for my DNA to match exactly with a dead woman's. The cops screwed something up, and they'll probably figure it out in a few days and call us and apologize. Don't worry so much about it. I tried to take her advice. My mom even agreed with her, saying it had to be some sort of error. It would get clear, that would Then that it would get cleared up sooner or later. Three days after we spoke to police, Bex, Ethan, and Aunt Linda vanished. My mom had gone over to their place to borrow some family photo albums from Aunt Linda to discover that the front door was unlocked and open. Nobody was inside. We tried to reach them on their cell phones, but we were informed their numbers had been disconnected. Nothing was missing from the house. They didn't take any personal belongings. Their cars were in the garage. It was like they just vanished, and they didn't come back. We reported them missing, of course. And a few days after that, the police asked my mom and me to come down to the station. That's when they revealed that they'd run Aunt Linda and Ethan's DNA through their databases and came up with two more exact matches to a Jane and John Doe whose bodies were found within 50 miles of each other. and the original Jane Doe, all of them died about five years ago. Once is, mis- once is a mistake or maybe a weird freakish coincidence, but three times the police were baffled. They asked us all for information we could give them on my aunt's family. They specifically wanted to know what they were doing five years ago. All we could tell them is that they'd gone on a family vacation that year and have been gone a week longer than they planned. But otherwise, we had nothing useful. It's been a month since then. The police have no answers for us, and we have no answers for them. I keep waiting for Bex to call or show up, or any of them, really. But it's like they've vanished off the face of the earth. The worst part is that there's nothing I can do. I've done so much research to try and find something that can explain what's going on, but I can't come up with a theory that makes sense. Nothing grounded in reality, anyways. All I wanted to know is that if I'm part Irish, but instead I ended up discovering that my family isn't at all what it seems.
0: Dun dun dun. What do you th- what do you think
1: happened? Oh it sounds like body snatchers. Flip. <laughs> that's Flip. pretty that's actually pretty flippin' scary, not gonna lie.
0: It I mean it's because it's real.
1: Yeah. It is real. It is a real story. There everything is real even if it's not.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit you with one. Alright, do it. And then I'm gonna hit, I'm gonna give you a long one. Alright, man. It's like multi-parts. Alright. This is from the short, scary stories one. It's the top post. It's got some language, so I'll have to, I'll have to, censor it with my own, uh, <laughs> no. I'm done posting on this subreddit. I'm sorry everyone, but I'm so fed up with posting here. Every time I pour my heart into writing scary stories, I build up the courage to post them, and then I spend days pounding the refresh button in the hopes of comments and upvotes. Yet every single time, I wind up with 4 or 5 upvotes and 0 comments. All the while, I have to look at other stories get hundreds or thousands of upvotes. I've tried everything, from writing across different settings to completely swapping genres to get that kind of attention. It really just crushes my self-esteem and I can't deal with it anymore. I even tracked down someone who got 3,000 upvotes on their story a couple of weeks ago. It was that guy who wrote about jellyfish. He hasn't posted anything since then. He had posted an old selfie on another subreddit and mentioned the city he lives in on his professional website, so I decided to visit him and see if I could learn how such well-received ideas got into his brain. He was neither helpful nor understanding of how soul-crushing it is to not receive recognition. He just kept telling me to leave and absolutely refusing to hear me out. Long story short, things eventually escalated, and when it became clear it wasn't going to help me, I had to use more forceful methods of getting inside his head. I guess it was naive of me, but the next day I wrote a new story with a fresh sense of purpose. I thought for sure that you guys would love it, and that what I learned from him would help me. I got three upvotes. 3 effing three. I can't deal with this anymore. If eating someone's brain won't help me here, then nothing will. That's it? He ate He ate the brain.
1: That's that's the story? Yeah, that's,
0: yeah it's just a little quick one. He ate a
1: guy's Ooh, brain. Ooh, spooky. Spooky. <laughs> this is spooky. <laughs> this is spooky season, y'all. This is the Barely
0: Ghoul podcast. Welcome back. The Barely Ghoul podcast. All right, I'm going to send you one. Maybe we'll take turns reading the different parts.
1: Oh, like like in class.
0: Yeah, cause it's long, and then there's it's like new updated parts. Ooh. This one, it's the top rated post of the uh, on no sleep uh, over the past year. Wow. So I'll get you to do part one, and then I'll do part two, and then there's a final part.
1: Oh, and we'll we'll just tag team that one.
0: Yeah, that's the idea.
1: All right, are you all ready? Let's get yeah. let's get nice and let's get nice and quiet. Nice and quiet. Let's get nice and quiet. How long is this? Goodness gracious, this is long. Alright. This is probably going to send us to the end, boys, so get ready. Get ready. Top post. <coughs> I was young when I realized that the place I lived was special. I didn't realize it at first, since I'd lived there my whole life. I thought it was normal for a city to not allow pets. I grew up never hearing the sounds of barking dogs or hissing cats. No one that lived inside the city border was allowed to have them. A- I thought it was normal for cities to have mandatory blood testing every week, with no explanation or seemingly any reason. I thought it was normal for cities to not have jails. I thought it was normal for cities to give their citizens soulmates. I never really understood how it worked. All that we were told was that there were the matchmakers who were responsible for making the matches and sending out the tiny slips of paper that determined each citizen's love life and future. No one ever saw the matchmakers. No one knew how they were recruited. No one knew how they worked. All anyone knew was that it worked. Where I lived, there had never been a filing for divorce. The matchmakers are never wrong. Each citizen received their paper on their 18th birthday. Inside the piece of paper, there was nothing except the name. The name of your supposed soulmate. There was no telling how you would come across this person. No when or how. All anyone knew is that it would eventually happen. We were allowed to tell other people, allowed to ask around, try and seek out people that had the same name as the one on the paper. But it didn't matter. It couldn't be forced. Of course, little eternal love and happiness does not come without rules. Every citizen had to follow the rules. They weren't too strange and seemed like a small price to pay for what you were getting in return. Most of the rules were simple. To name a few, there was no going outside, under any circumstances, after 2am. No pets, blood tests, etc. There were also rules that we weren't allowed to know until we were older. We got the new rules on our 18th birthday, the same day we got our matchmaker paper. We called them slips. As I got older, I realized that our city was special and that other cities didn't have what we had i didn't care life was good life seemed simple our city was like a little paradise i was happy it was without issue i believe that's part 2 now that's it there's that's, double, that's, th- that's part there's double du- there's double eyes there i don't know if, if maybe that's let me see let me see is that is that indicating a part 2 or is it just a cut
0: no i think it's i think it's just a cut
1: all right cool cuz there's like links to part 2 up oh cut. okay cool all right cut yeah it was back in, back in, back in, spooky. back in, back in. Okay, spooky, spooky. It was the night before my 18th birthday, but I couldn't sleep. This was to be expected, since knowing the next morning you would know the name of your literal soulmate. It was enough to keep anyone up late. Usually, I wouldn't have believed in such things like soulmates, especially as I got older. But it was hard to argue with evidence. My parents had gotten married in their late 20s and have stayed happily married ever since, both of their names matching what was on their slips. My older sister, Caitlyn, got her slip last year, and though she's been through her fair share of failed relationships, she's currently in a happy one with some guy named Roger. I don't think I need to tell you the name that was on her slip. I wished Caitlyn still lived with us. We used to share a room, but ever since she moved out, well, it feels empty with just me in it. By some miracle, I eventually fell asleep, my brain finally exhausted after hours of wondering what tomorrow was going to bring. I woke up the next morning, my iron groping with my alarm to turn it off. Just like any other day, it wasn't until I slept, sleepily sat up, realized today wasn't like any other day. I swung my legs out of bed, my heart pounding in my chest as I tried to compose myself. I wanted to pull on a shirt and shorts as fast as possible, rush to the kitchen and get the envelope I knew that would be addressed to me, but I didn't. I didn't want to be one of those people whose entire life suddenly revolved around trying to find their soulmate. I needed to be calm. Taking even a few breaths, I slowly put on a shirt and some basketball shorts before opening my door chatter and the smell of waffles hit my senses instantly as i stepped out of my room turning the corner i stopped grinning caitlin i said unable to contain my excitement at seeing her reaching her in a few short steps i wrapped my arms around her in a hug to which she enthusiastically returned what are you doing here i said pulling myself away to look at her oh you seriously thought i would miss your birthday get real she said matching my grin as she looked at me damn you got tall she said looking at me he got it from his old man my dad chimed in, and Caitlin rolled her eyes. Besides my height, I got a lot from my dad. I got his warm brown eyes, I got his wavy, dirty blonde hair that I had always kept medium length. I looked so much like my dad that my mom always chimed in, saying how I got her nose and smile. Happy birthday, hon, my mom said from the counter, giving me a soft smile. These are almost done, and we'll go out for your birthday dinner later tonight. She said, gesturing me waffles as I smiled. Birthday waffles for the birthday boy, my dad chimed in, putting an arm around my mom, and the simple movement made me remember something i forgot forgotten in the midst of the excitement. Is it, is it here, I asked, trying to keep my voice even. My sister nodded, understanding what I was talking about. On the front table. My legs felt like rubber as I walked up the few steps into the hallway, instantly seeing the stark white envelope on the table. I picked it up. Deliver to Theodore Shillings. is what it said. I wanted back to the, I walked back to the kitchen, all eyes on me as I turned the envelope over trying to act calm, act normal. I opened the envelope pulling out two pieces of paper. One of them I knew would be the new rules. The other one was my slip. Look to the paper pa- bigger paper first. To people registered as 18 years old or older, the following rules will come into effect. Under no circumstances is anyone 18 years or older permitted in city waters. This includes all local rivers within city limits. Two. Under no circumstances will anyone 18 years or older be allowed to watch the television on the 14th of every month. 3. Under no circumstances is anyone 18 years or older permitted to use faucets after 12 a.m. This includes sinks, bathtubs, and showers. 4. Under no circumstances is anyone 18 years or older permitted to use any kind of elevator after 9 p.m. 5. Under no circumstances is anyone 18 years or older permitted to share their rules with people under the age of 18. That was it. I honestly expected more, but was relieved that there wasn't too many that I would have had to memorize. They were weird, sure, and nothing that I wouldn't be able to do. After rereading new rules, I put the paper down, heart hammering as I took the slip, wanting to get it over with. I opened it, to which a single name was printed, Avery. I read and reread the name several times. Avery, Avery, Avery. I racked my brain for people I knew named Avery. There were the girl in my history class, maybe one who I pre calc with a few years ago. Before I could before I could wonder further, Caitlin's voice cut me off. "What's the name?" she said. To which I handed it to her. It passed from her to my mother, then my father. Avery. Nice name, my dad said. Handing my slip back to me, chatter resumed between my parents and Caitlin while my mom was worrying. Some things made more sense now, like why I never saw adults kayaking in the river like I saw them do in other cities. I told myself for a long time that once I got my slip, that I wouldn't focus too much on it. But my mind kept coming back to the name that was burned into my mind, Avery. I sold to go to school, I got ready while Caitlin went out to reconnect with some high school friends. I ignored my text asking what the name on my slip was, preferring to have that conversation in person. My friends were waiting on me at the bus stop eagerly. There was Jennifer, who was usually pretty quiet, and who I'd known since preschool. There was Joseph, who was a bit of a daredevil and a jock, who I'd met during my freshman year. Lastly, there was Charles and Sophia, twins who were never separated, and who I'd bonded with sophomore year over our love for horror movies. <clears throat> Looking at us as a group looked weird, but we worked and had fun with each other. I was bombarded with the same question as I got close to them. Whose name did you get? Avery, I said. The first time I had actually said the name, it sounded nice coming out of my mouth. It sounded bright. My friends nodded, followed by a moment of silence that meant that they were all trying to think of Averys that they knew. Isn't there a chick in your history class named Avery? Joseph offered. I nodded, yeah, I'm trying not to think about it too much. I don't want to become one of those people who's so obsessed with it. I said, although the name was really all I could think about. My friends dropped it after that, all except Joseph. He would chime in every few minutes, rattling off girls they knew, all with the name Avery. He was still talking about it as the bus came, and as we walked into the school, he really didn't have an off button, which meant that I was left to try and tune him out, nodding my head in agreement every few minutes. As the school day went on, I couldn't help but wonder if each Avery I came across was my soulmate. Somehow, though, none of the girls I came across felt right. Everything else aside, the school day went pretty smoothly, but wished me having birthday in the halls, occasionally asking who I got on my slip. After school, I still had time before I had to head home and started working on homework. So as usual, I met outside the school with my friends. The day had gotten progressively hotter as it went on, and by, to- by the time school was out, it had reached the point of uncomfort. Most of my friends were already waiting for me, and as I got closer, they were already in conversation. Falls hot, man. We should go claim a spot by the river before it gets too crowded, Joseph was saying which my other friends nodded in agreement. The river, was, the river he was referring to was the biggest in the city, almost cutting kind of it in half. It was a popular hangout spot. My friends and I had been going there for ages, but now my throat felt tight. None of my friends had turned 18 yet since I had an extra year of preschool when I was a kid. They didn't know the new rules. One of the rules said I wasn't allowed to tell them. Did that mean I also couldn't hint at it? Or I'm not sure if I'm feeling the river today, I said, trying to sound as nonchalant as possible. Are you crazy? It's like 90 degrees out here, Jennifer said, raising her eyebrows. Not wanting to act suspicious, I decided that I would go, but I wouldn't go in, under any circumstances. Alright, let's go, but I can't stay long. I have my birthday dinner with Caitlin and my parents, I said, to which Joseph pumped his fist. Relieved that none of them seemed to suspect anything, we set off toward the river. There were a couple of the families there, with kids playing in the shallow water and with parents sitting safely on the edge. I took a few even breaths to remind myself that I was fine, that I would stay on shore. Jennifer and Joseph were the first into the river, instantly pulling up their jeans and taking off their socks and shoes as they dipped them into the river, sighing with relief at the cool water provided from the hot weather. I desperately wanted to be there with them, swimming in the river and enjoying the nice weather, but the rules were very clear. I sighed, sitting down a few feet away from the water, my legs out in front of me, watching as my friends splashed each other with the water. I just had to hold out until they had their birthdays, and then I wouldn't have to make excuses. I could handle a few more months. "'Boy, come on, birthday boy, get in the water,' Charles yelled, splashing water in my direction as he was ankle-deep in it. A few feet away from where it dropped and off into the deep waters, I smiled, shaking my head as I adjusted my legs to make myself more comfortable. "'Now I'll be the only one to drive you guys to the hospital when you get hypothermia.'" I yelled back, to which I could see his eyes roll from here. "'Ah, uh, we can't have that,' Joseph called, wadding back to where I was. I commanded the birthday boy to get hypothermia with the rest of us. Joseph said, smirking as he approached me. I felt a trickle of unease as he approached me. I stood up to move away. Just then, he swooped down and picked me up over his shoulder. Joseph played it for the football team, and I always admired his strength. But this was the first time I was afraid of it. Joseph, stopped, Put me down, I yelled, panic raising in my voice, trying to escape his arms as he was carrying me to the water. My heart pounded wildly in my chest as a fear kept rising up in my throat. He outmatched me in size and strength, and my struggles were fruitless. I'm serious, Joseph. Put me the F down, I yelled, to which he gave me a little laugh. You're always so serious, Theo. Loosen up. Live a little, he replied. And I could see he was in the water now, wadding further in. I looked at my friends, wide-eyed, but they weren't giggling like it was a joke. They had no idea. As he got closer to the drop-off, I struggled harder, hitting him on the shoulders. I wasn't weak by any standards, but Joseph was built like an ox, almost all muscle. Fear closed my throat so tightly I couldn't breathe. Come on, everyone in the water, he said, motioning with his friends to him, his head to my friends, who obliged, standing on the edge of the drop. All right, on three, we'll all jump together. He put his hands on my waist and knew that I was coming. One, two, he started ragging, back and forth. Joseph, stop, stop, I yelled, punching him harder, but it didn't make any difference. 3. I heard the splashes of my friends jumping in just as I was launched a few feet into the air. I didn't know what to expect. I shut my eyes tightly as images rapidly flashed through my mind. I saw me on my ninth birthday party. I saw myself applauding at Caitlin's graduation. Rapid images throughout my life flashed before me. Was my life flashing before my eyes? I felt like an eternity before I hit the water. Nothing could have prepared me for what happened next. I hit the, the water hard. The cold water stinging every part of my body, the wind knocked out of me, but since nothing else happened immediately, I thought, fleetingly, that I was fine. I was wrong. I felt like a giant vacuum was at the bottom of the river, sucking me toward it. I thrashed in the water, desperately trying anything to prevent myself from getting sucked deeper. I had been swimming in the deep part of the river before, and once some of my friends and I actually measured how deep it was, I knew well enough that I was being pulled far beyond that. I was running out of air, and my panic state wasn't helping the situation. Whatever was down there started to pull me faster, as as if whatever it was could sense my desperation. My chest felt tight as i could no longer hold my breath my body started to go limp when suddenly i was falling i was no longer in water and i took a gasp of breath sputtering out of the water that i had managed to get in my mouth for my surprise i was so relieved to be breathing again it took me a minute to realize i was falling rapidly through the air darkness surrounded me and through my confused day state i couldn't make out what was around me a few s- i couldn't make out what was around me a few seconds later for the second time during the day my body hit water again hard once again i had the wind on hand on me and I couldn't feel myself sinking. I couldn't move, I couldn't breathe. I didn't have the energy to panic. My eyes closed. I didn't know what I was supposed to think about. I didn't want my last thoughts before death to be wasted. It was during these last thoughts that suddenly, someone pulled me away from them. Something pulled me away from them, literally. I could feel something grabbing the back of my shirt, pulling me upwards toward the surface. Confusion swept me as moments later, I felt myself being heaved in the water and being roughly set down on something hard, something solid. I gasped, coughing and sputtering as water dripped off of me. I shakily pushed myself onto my hands and knees, trying to get my breathing under control, my thoughts moving at the speed of light. I felt oddly lightheaded, my body drained and exhausted. I wanted to look around for my savior, but I couldn't. The vision had started to go black as my exhausted body finally collapsed. Something was shaking me awake. My first fleeting thought was that it was my mom telling me I was going to be late for school. Then I remembered it was just a dream. I told myself, just a dream. You'll open your eyes, and mom is going to wish you a happy birthday. Tell you you're going to be late for school. Someone shook me harder. I opened my eyes. It was not my mom. It was a boy who looked around my age with dark, messy hair and who was looking at me with two dark blue eyes who looked relieved as I opened my eyes. Good, you're awake. Come on, we need to move. He said quickly, looking behind him. Confusion clouded my mind. "Who, Who are you and where am I? I said, trying to keep the fear out of my voice. The boy looked back at me. My name is Avery. I can explain everything later, but we really have to go. My breath caught in my throat. Avery, Avery, Avery. Oh, poop.
0: It's scary That's because gay. <laughs>
1: it's scary because gay. And that would be the end of part one.
0: Alright, well, now I'm sucked in. I much know. like him it's being a flipping tossed long into the story, water. Alright, part two, and then we'll tag team the final. Sure. I'll start part two. Yeah. In school, we had learned about the five stages of grief. The stages come into effect whenever a person experiences something unpleasant. This can mean a variety of things, from losing a loved one or going through a traumatic experience. Your brain goes through these five stages to protect you, to help you cope. The first is shock and denial. People usually experience numbness, both physically and emotionally. It's typical for people in this stage to ask repeated questions. More often questions that they already know the answer to, but that their brain refuses to believe. I was no exception. The dark-haired boy was still speaking, although his words landed on deaf ears, for the person he was trying to talk to was currently going through the first stage of grief. "'Your name is Avery?' I interrupted, my voice quiet but cutting as I pushed myself up into a sitting position, feeling uncomfortable laying on my back. The boy looked at me, exasperated and annoyed as he realized that this was the only piece of information I gleaned from his words. "'Yes, my name is Avery. Did you get any of what I just said?' he asked as his eyebrows furrowed, irritation leaking into his voice. An embarrassed flush crept up into my face as I dropped my eyes. Er, some of it, I mumbled, my face so hot that I was sure that he could feel the heat radiating off me. I could hear the small sigh that he made, followed by rustling. I took a chance and looked up where I saw him rustling around in a black bag for something. Look, I know this is confusing. We'll explain everything later, but right now there's no time. We've already made too much noise. He said hurriedly after, with another paranoid glance over his shoulder. Looking back, he finally removed two things from his bag. You're going to need to put this on. He said, tossing one to me. I caught it, turning it over in my hands as confusion etched into my face. It looked like a mask, but with no holes for the eyes or mouth or a strap at the back. It was stark black and weirdly smooth, made of material I didn't recognize. What is it?" I started to ask, but his voice cut me off. Do you trust me? He said suddenly, his dark blue eyes pressing into mine. I swallowed. Thoughts raced across my mind as I tried to sort through them. There was no time for logic, not now. My dad had always told me to be logical and think with my head instead of my heart. I was trying so hard to listen to my head, but my heart was louder. Yes, I said quietly, so softly that I thought he wouldn't hear me, but the relieved expression that washed over his face told me that he did. Then please, put the darn thing on, questions later, he said softly, some of the impatience leaving his voice. Without another word, I held my breath and put the mask-like thing up to my face. It was one of the oddest experiences I had ever felt. It felt like a suction cup attaching itself to my face, so tightly it was, as if the mask was merging with my face. The no-holes for the eyes or mouth proved not to be an issue since I got to breathe perfectly fine, almost as if it wasn't on at all. I looked up to see if Avery had his on, and when I looked up, I had to stifle a gasp. It was like his face had completely disappeared, a black oval where his face should have been. It was beyond unnerving, merely looking at it sending a chill throughout my body. Is that what it looked like on me? Ready, he asked, seeing I had put it on. Hearing him speak without seeing his mouth was creeping me out, but I didn't say anything, instead just nodded. He extended a hand out, seeing that I was still on the ground. I hesitated for only a fraction of a second before I took his hand, letting him pull me to my feet. As soon as my hand touched his, I felt a shot of warmth, startling me slightly, but leaving me as soon as he let go. Stay with me and stay quiet, he said softly, swinging his bag onto his back, turning to start walking. As I started to follow him, I looked up, at last, trying to get a picture of my surroundings, to hopefully get some information of where the heck I was. I was not prepared for what I saw. It was the city. I tried to keep walking so as not to get too far behind Avery, but my eyes were glued to the sight in front of me. It couldn't be, could it? My thoughts were racing, and to confirm, I looked behind me. The body of water that Avery had just pulled me out of was the very same one that I had gotten thrown into in the first place. My heart was pounding as I looked around me. It was an exact replica of the city, but it was distorted. Every building was drained of color, almost everything in sight being a different shade of black or gray. On top of this, every few seconds, something would glitch, like a lagging video game, like the holograms that were in movies. Something wasn't right. You could feel everywhere you looked, a sickening sense of unease, of dread, with every washed-out, colorless building that we passed. I quickened my pace to get closer to Avery. I didn't know where we were going, since we were going into the west part of the city, which I wasn't too familiar with. All my life, I had everything I needed fairly close to where I lived, so there wasn't really any reason to explore. I know that Avery told me not to ask questions, but I wanted to know where we were going, if I was going to need anything to protect myself with, since the feeling that I was being watched hadn't gone away since I arrived in this messed up dystopia. I silently walked faster until I was next to him. Maybe it was the fact that I had my slip on my mind, but as I got closer, I could feel my heart start thumping uncomfortably against my chest. Uh, Avery? I asked softly, trying to keep my voice low. He glanced back at me, and I cringed as I remembered that we still had the black mask on. Yeah, he replied, matching my quiet voice. I know you said not to ask questions, but where are we going? I asked. He glanced around before lowering his head to speak. My place, where I lived before I came here. I've been using it as a sort of safe house. We don't have to keep our voices down there, and I can explain everything, he said quietly and quickly. Just as he finished speaking, a loud thump came from in front of us, startling me as a black distorted figure came out from a glitching convenience store. It looked like a man, but his face didn't have any features, his face looking oddly like the black ovals that our faces now resembled because of the masks. My heart stopped in my chest as Avery grabbed my arm to stop me from walking. Don't look at him. Avery whispered feverishly into my ear. He's lost. The distorted man had an uneven gait, almost limping. As he got closer, I could see that his black body was glitching like everything else in this messed up place. I quickly looked down as Avery instructed, trying to keep my breathing in control. I felt Avery's hand tighten on my arm as the thing got closer to us. As it got closer, I could hear it mumbling incoherently. It continued to get closer, so close that I could feel its presence with every fiber of my being. It was beyond uncomfortable, but saying true to Avery's instructions, I didn't make a sound. The next few minutes felt like an eternity before Avery looked up and looked behind us, letting out a small sigh of relief as his grip loosened on my arm before letting go. Come on, we have to hurry, he mumbled, starting to walk again faster than we were before. Neither of us said anything for a while. As we walked, I was left to my own thoughts as my brain was trying to make sense of everything that had happened to me. I thought about my family, an internal ache spreading through me as I tried to imagine what they would be feeling when I didn't come home. I stood on this for a while before the surge of anger washed through me. This wasn't even my fault. Joseph was the one who thought I needed to live a little more. He decided it would be a grand idea to chuck me in the river. Joseph. I forgot to mention that the second and third stages of grief or pain and anger. With all of these thoughts running through round and round my head, there was still one that I refused to acknowledge. Getting a person of the same gender on your slip wasn't unheard of and actually happened pretty often. I just never thought I would be one of those people. I suppose having matchmakers made us blind. Without the promise, or with the promise of a soulmate, you never really had to think or worry about your sexuality or relationships. You knew that someone else was out there, figuring it out for you. It was uncomfortable to think about how people you've never even met know more about your own sexuality before you even do. Before you even had a chance to figure it out. I actually shook my head trying to chase away these thoughts. It was ridiculous. I would know if I liked guys, right? I didn't have time to dive deeper into these thoughts. We're here," a soft voice said, bringing me away from my thoughts. I looked up at where we were. It was one of those houses that was small and cramped, on a street where it seemed like the builders were trying to find out how many houses they could fit onto it. It looked fairly normal, and I expect it would have looked better if it had, you know, color. Avery opened the door and beckoning me inside quickly. Shutting the door behind us, I looked around, finding a surprisingly neat interior with bookshelves and couches like any normal house would. Looking around, I was relieved to notice that nothing in here was glitching around like outside, even if it was still colorless. The only odd thing was that there was an empty space in the middle of the room, like someone had taken away the table but left the couches. It's not the nicest, but it's home, Avery said, to which I turned to look at him. Before I could reply, he put a hand to his face, starting to peel his mask up from the bottom. We can take these off, but keep yours close by, he said, peeling his own off and setting it on the closest couch. I put my own hand to my face, fleetingly wondering if mine would come off, since it felt like it wasn't even there anymore. To my great relief, I was able to feel it and copied what Avery had done, peeling it off from the bottom, which came off with surprising ease. I set it down on the table next to me, working up the courage to speak. I had opened my mouth to speak when Avery broke the silence first. "'So I guess you have a few questions,' he said with a small sigh. Still standing, I said nothing, instead nodding and gingerly sitting on the edge of the couch next to me. "'I don't even know where to start,' he mumbled to himself, eyebrows knitting together as he started to pace. Courage bubbled up, making its way to my throat. How did you end up here? I asked, making him look up, his face relaxing, as if he was relieved to have somewhere solid to start his explanation. Well, I broke a rule, he said with a sigh. I said nothing, fully prepared to not speak until he was done. The thirst for information, for an explanation was too great. Luckily for me, Avery picked up on it and continued. It was the TV rule, the one where you can't watch on the 14th of every month. I was such an idiot, he said, shaking his head as he resumed his pacing. I got pulled through. It happened so fast I was sitting on that couch, actually. He gestured to the one I was sitting on with a tight smile. I turned it on, and it was just static. I realized then what I had done. Before I could fix my mistake, something was coming out of it, something solid. It grabbed my shirt and pulled me through, into the TV, where I landed here. I thought nothing had happened since I was still in my house until I realized that I wasn't. He said, his voice started to get heavy. He paused, and he didn't need to say any more. It was perhaps a combination of sympathy or curiosity that was too overwhelming for me to stay quiet. What is this place? I asked quietly. Avery gave out a small sigh, coming around to sit on a chair opposite to where I was sitting. I don't know what to call it. As you saw, it's an exact replica of where we lived. I've explored in every detail exactly as it is in the real world, but with obvious differences. He said before meeting my eyes, he seemed to know what question I wanted to ask him next. Ever wonder why we didn't have jails? He asked softly. He didn't wait for my answer. I call them the lost ones, the people get that, that get thrown in here. They lose themselves after a while. They turn into what you saw on the way here. Altered versions of themselves, no identity, no remnants of their past selves. They are hostile, angered, and more capable than you could ever imagine. I swallowed. This is the jail that we never had up there. Made for the rule-breakers and people who threaten their precious utopia. They get left here, left to waste away, to spend the rest of eternity here, he said bitterly. They are nightmares, beings of their worst possible selves that have no feelings, no nothing. They are fueled off their worst qualities and are trapped in their own heads. This time it was Avery that swallowed. As far as I can tell, they don't care who gets trapped here, even the people who break rules by accident, although the actual criminals they deliver personally down here, he said with a sigh. The weight of the situation was pressing on me so hard that I was having a hard time breathing. There, there has to be a way out, right? I asked breathlessly. To my immense relief, Avery nodded. There is, but it takes two people. I can't tell you how long I've been waiting for someone down here, he said softly. I felt a pang of sympathy. How long have you been down here? I asked, and he shrugged. A couple months maybe? There's no way to tell down here. I tried keeping track by writing on the walls, but they would disappear the next day. How do we get out of here? I asked, my voice gaining confidence the longer I spelt in his presence. The same way that they get the criminals in here. It's at the center of the city and it looks like an archway. The door they use is password protected, but I've been watching whenever they bring someone new down here, and I know it. The only problem is it seems to be a popular hangout spot for the people who are lost, he said heavily. The masks that I had you put on are to blend in with them, but only goes so far, and only really works when there's a few of them around. I didn't want to ask how he managed to get those masks. There is a way to kill them, but they still outnumber me, which is why I needed a second person. You don't need to eat or drink down here, but you can still get hurt," he said lifting his sleeve to reveal two long, deep gashes that were in the process of healing. I suppressed a shiver. This new information spun around my head. I felt slightly sick. I knew then that I couldn't stay here. I needed to get out. I couldn't let myself become lost. I'll do it. Whatever it takes. I don't care. I'll help. I said, breaking the silence, my voice confident. Avery looked up at me with an expression I couldn't place. It looked like newfound respect, like he was just noticing me for the first time. He studied me for a moment before nodding. I'll keep you safe. I won't let anything happen to you. I thought of making a smart reply, but he seemed so genuine after it that I kept my mouth shut. It was then sitting there with no immediate danger nearby that I started to feel the weight of the day starting to press in around me. I tried to cover up a yawn with my hand, but Avery caught it. He stood up, running a hand through his hair. Sorry, you must be exhausted. I wasn't even thinking about that. I've been sleeping down here, he said, gesturing at an empty space in the room. But I can make up a place to sleep upstairs if you... I don't, I interrupted suddenly, to which Avery raised his his eyebrows. I felt a hot flush rising in my cheeks as I continued. I mean, if it's okay, I'd feel more comfortable staying down here, I said quickly. Averting my eyes, there was a pause, which was enough time for me to feel greatly embarrassed by my words. He doesn't want you down here, idiot. He doesn't even know you. "'Sure. If it makes you more comfortable, I'm ha- more than happy to set up a space here for you,' he said finally, giving me a small smile. "'I'll be right back. Holler if you need anything,' he said, turning the leave before stopping as if remembering something. "'Uh, I never never got your name. Forgot to ask,' he said sheepishly, stumbling slightly over his words. "'Charles,' I said suddenly, the name and the lie slipping out easily. "'I'm not sure if it was just my imagination, but did Avery look slightly crestfallen?' "'It must have been, because the next second the look disappeared, and he gave me a small smile. "'Pleasure to meet you, Charles.' As soon as he left the room, I slumped down on the couch, putting my head in my hands. Why had I lied? I knew the answer, and it was really just a matter of wanting to answer it. I could say that it was because I didn't trust Avery, but that wasn't the truth. There were so many different kinds of confusion, so many different kinds of pain. I was tired of being the one who felt it all. I was just tired in general. It was disorienting to have your entire life flipped upside down in a matter of moments. Everything that you thought you knew to be untrue or <coughs> covered with layers of deception to keep people in a mindless bliss. I suppose that... Even though people could feel certainty, it was an emotion, not a fact. My thoughts kept me busy until Avery came back, arms laden with blankets and pillows. He set them down in an empty space, starting to arrange them. Do you need help, I asked, wanting to feel at least a little useful. He shook his head as he straightened up. I'm just about done. Is this enough? I can get more stuff if you want, he said, looking up at me. It's great, really, thank you. I have to get some stuff ready for tomorrow, but I'll just be in the next room. I'll come to sleep in a while. Just give me a t- call if you need anything, all right? Just as Avery was about to leave the room, I spoke. I don't usually do it, but if I start snoring, I give you complete permission to smack me. I said this quietly, but basing on the way he stopped and turned around, I knew he had heard me. Noted, he said, but there was something different about his voice. As I looked at him, I saw that he was smiling. Not a tight smile or small one, but an actual genuine smile that made my body feel warm. I had never been a lucid dreamer. I'd heard about it and even studied a bit at school so I knew how to recognize it. Lucid dreaming is a dream in which your body knows that you're dreaming and gives you the steering wheel for a bit, allowing you to be conscious and aware while dreaming. I was currently experiencing this strange phenomenon. I wasn't entirely sure where I was. I knew I was dreaming, however, since I was fairly confident that in order to be walking you had to be walking on something solid. I appeared to be walking on water. Looking around, everything was black. It looked like I was standing on a lake, but the water stretched on as far as I could see. The water rippled underneath my feet with every step I took, and looking down, I couldn't see the bottom of whatever kind of water I was standing on, just more darkness. I wasn't sure how long I stood there until I saw a figure in the distance. I squinted, waiting for it to come closer. When it got closer, however, my body seized with panic. It was the man from the convenience store, the one without a face, the one that Avery said was lost. I turned to run, but I couldn't. The man was getting closer, and my feet seemed glued to the surface. Screams I meant to yell died in my throat as I saw the man now only a few feet from me, as my screams were silenced by the paralyzing fear that rendered me immobile. Instead of the muttering I had heard from before, he was eerily silent. The only sound I could hear was my own heartbeat hammering against my chest. Suddenly the man's face started to change. Instead of a black oval, white lines started to form near the bottom, and after a few moments I realized that it was making a manic demented smile, and came closer. It's unnaturally long fingers closing on my shirt and pulling me closer. Its other hand drew back, transforming into what I couldn't name. I couldn't place, but looked very, very sharp. I only had a second to look at it before it plunged into my stomach, letting loose pain that I have never felt in my life. Among the screams and yells I had been holding in my throat, it felt as if every fiber of my being, every atom, was being ripped apart. My eyes were wide with shock as the smile remained on the maid's face. I couldn't talk. I couldn't breathe. Looking down, I saw a bloom of red starting to spread quickly across my shirt, so it was so much more vibrant in contrast to the blank, colorless surroundings. I felt arms close around me a moment later, pulling me against something hard, a chest, Avery's arms, Avery's chest, holding me, keeping me safe. I heard his voice soft in my ear, You're okay, you're okay, he mumbled, holding me tighter. Every emotion i have been holding in since I got into this place I let loose. Dry sobs racked my body as a flurry of fear, pain, and confusion, along with others, flooded me. I saw him, I said quietly, tears streaming down my face. I know, I know you did, it's okay, you're okay. I let myself turn towards him, blankets just around me, as I buried my face in his chest. I can't tell you how long he held me with my face buried in my chest, with him not caring that his shirt was getting soaked. It felt like hours before the pain of my dreams subsided, before my body was no longer shaking. It felt like hours, and during them Avery never let go of me. My thoughts have finally slowed. I skipped the past two stages of grief. I had skipped the anger and bargaining. My body just didn't have enough energy left to do it. The only thing I felt sitting in there was safety and comfort, two things I hadn't felt since I had arrived here. Sitting there with him felt right. It was the feeling that I had never felt looking at girls in my class that I had never felt looking at any girl. Mm. It felt like hours before I spoke again. Avery asked softly, Yeah, I never said thank you. Thank you for what? He asked his voice against my ear. For saving me, I would have drowned. You don't have to thank me for that. I know if you saw me hurtling out of the sky into a river, you would have done the same. True, I wanted to say. Thank you anyway. Well then, you're welcome anyway. Avery, I asked again, Yes, I want to go home, I said quietly. There was a pause. Let's go home then. What I assume was the next few days, or what I assume was the next few days, were spent going over the plan. Or what I assumed was a few days since no time cycle. Avery drew up the city center, and where the last one congregated the most heavily, he gave and showed me how to use the weapons that could kill them. These are the weapons that I found near the door. That people come down here have a stash. This is an ontological gun. He said, handing me what looked like a regular handgun. I know it looks like a regular gun because it is. The only difference is how you're thinking about it. I don't need to tell you that this place is weird and that regular logical rules don't apply. If you shoot this at them, they simply cease to exist. They go away, but only if you believe it to be true. It sounds really stupid, but it works. If you believe that you can make them cease to exist by shooting this at them, it'll work. Something had happened after my dream. After we had stayed interlocked for who knows how long, something unspoken. He no longer felt like a stranger or just a person who shared the same name that was on my slip. It felt like I had known him my whole life. The night before we were going to put our plan in action, neither of us could sleep. At first it was disorienting going to sleep without any wake sle- sleep-wake cycle, but I got used to it. Avery? Charles? He replied, to which I internally cringed. Are you nervous? I asked quietly. There was a pause. A bit. Do you want to push another day to go over it again? No. I would just feel more comfortable finding how the guns worked. I'm skipping so much. This is so long. It's crazy blah 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 guns someone was shaking me awake I reluctantly opened my eyes where I could see Avery shaking my shoulder gently stopping when he saw I was awake and giving me a small smile this isn't even scary man where is the fear I'm sure it'll get better in the final part yeah that's true okay I'll skip ahead a bit It's time to get the frick out of here. We avoided entire streets whenever we saw a lost one, not wanting to create any unnecessary attention. After a while of walking, I saw what Avery was talking about. The city center was where we had our summer farmer's market event and concerts. It looked the same, the only difference being the short archway with a stark red door. It caught me off guard since the only things uncolored that I had seen were Avery and I, but the door was blood red and next to it a keypad. The archway was a good ways away from where we were, and I already saw lost ones milling around, the same unclear mumbling filling the silence. Remember, we're going to try to get as far as we can without the guns, but if they notice us, then start shooting. I could hear my heart pounding in my ears as we started to walk. We kept our heads straight, only focused on the door in front of us. As we walked a few meters, we realized that we greatly overestimated the amount of time we had before they noticed us. It was just like in my dream, their black faces starting to develop white lines. I didn't want to see if they turned into the demented, troubled smiles. I pulled out the gun Avery had given to me, praying to whatever higher power there was to let this work. I concentrated, imagining the one directly in front of me, disappearing when the bullet made contact. It was advancing, and I could already hear the loud cracks of Avery's gun behind me. It was running now, full speed at me. It's mumbling, getting louder. I raised the gun, my heart pounding. A few feet away, its mouth stretching to a wide grin. Charles, I fired, my eyes closing for a split second. I braced myself for the pain I knew was coming, but none came. Opening my eyes, there was nothing but a scattering of dust at my feet. Relief flooded through me as I could have laughed. It worked, it worked, it worked. Looking around, they were coming in from behind buildings, out of windows. Filled with their new hope and confidence, I started firing rounds off, truly believing with each shot. Adrenaline was rushing through me as the cracks of our guns filled the heavy silence, only being outmatched by the progressively louder mumbling made by advancing lost ones. It was tight, but Avery was right. With the two of us, we were overpowering them, dust going up every few seconds. It oddly felt like a video game, wave after wave, coming until eventually they stopped and there were only a few left. (coughs) I just reached my peak of confidence when I heard a scream. Turning around, my heart stopped in my chest. Avery was being dragged by the foot, a lost one's long, sharp fingers digging into his ankle, his gun laying th- a few feet away. I didn't have time to think or react, sprinting towards him as I pointed my gun, hoping desperately I wouldn't hit him. I wouldn't be able to aim properly while running. I stopped trying to level the gun, trying to stop my hand from shaking. Took a breath and fired. The-, <coughs> the cloud of dust that replaced the thin black body is probably the most beautiful thing I'd seen in my life. I sprinted over where Avery was wincing horribly as he tried to turn himself... Around. Avery heard me coming, and when he looked up, he wasn't looking at me. No, 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 Charles, behind you, he yelled, the panic clear in his voice. Stopping and turning around, my heart seemed to stop for the second time. It was the man from the convenience store, the one from my dream. It looked like he was the only one left. You can do this, I thought to myself. I raised my gun, firing him right in the chest. The bullet passed through like an ordinary bullet. Panic was rapidly flowing through me now as the man came closer. I tried to move, but my feet felt glued to the ground. Oh, no, 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 not again. I could hear Avery behind me calling my name. The man was slowly advancing, knowing that I wasn't going anywhere. The white lines appeared on his face. My voice felt struck in my throat. His arm was pulling back, turning into the the thing from my dream. Avery's calls got louder. The man was a few feet away. Grabbing the front of my shirt, the white lines transformed into a smile. The corner of its mouth stretched wide to each corner of its face as drawn-on teeth appeared. I knew what was going to happen next. The pain was unbearable. I was certain I was being ripped apart, being set on fire from the very depths of my body. White-hot pain clouded my vision so badly that I didn't even notice when it was over. I didn't notice the puff of dust appear in front of me. The loud crack that went with it. I didn't feel it when I sank to my knees, feeling something hot and wet spread throughout my shirt. It took me a minute to notice the hands grabbing at my shoulders, tipping me back. No, 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 Charles. Charles, please, stay with me, please. I can't lose you, Charles. That's not, I whispered. Avery's eyes flashed to mine briefly as he started to rip off another piece of fabric. What? My name? It's not. It's not Charles. What are you talking about? I lied. My name is Theodore. I wanted you to like me for who I was, not because my name might have been on your slip. I whispered. Exhaustion and coldness starting to seep into my body. I saw realization pass through Avery's eyes. I saw him putting the pieces together. You. I don't care. Please. I can't lose you. We'll get you back to the house. We'll patch you up. Just please, please don't go. You've come too far. The door's right there. More lost ones will be back. Just go. I said softly. F that. I'm not leaving you here. He said sharply. Looking over me, seeming to make a decision. He slid his arm under me, lifted me up and holding me like a little kid, being careful not to touch my stomach where the red seams were getting progressively wetter. He ca- carried me over to the keypad, his hands shaking as he put in the numbers. Ready? He asked softly. I didn't have the energy to do anything but nod. He put in the last number and the door swung open. I winced his white blood, flooded by vision as I felt. Avery stepped through, my eyes closed as warmth spread through me, and I let myself drift out of consciousness. I could hear footsteps around me, people talking in low voices. My eyelids fluttered open. Ah, Mr. Schillings, we've been expecting you. I believe that I'm correct in thinking that it is a well-known fact that people by nature are curious. Curiosity has fueled many of the greatest inventions of time, such things being electricity or the wheel. Of course, it does not take anything, no great genius, to be curious. In fact, thanks to modern technology, Everyone who becomes curious is able to feel that curiosity, have it satisfied in mere seconds. Back in middle school, I remember being curious about something. I was curious to see how many variations there were of the word confusion. As it turned out, there were many. I won't bore you with all the variations that were, since if you are curious, you can simply look it up yourself. However, I'll share a particular one that I liked. My favorite variation or synonym for the word confused was disoriented. By definition, being disoriented means that a person is thoroughly confused as to a time or place. They are out of touch with their surroundings. They've lost their sense of direction. They are unable to think clearly. Their surroundings creating mixed feelings, emotions, and thoughts. Oddly, all of this was going through my head as my brain tried to register the words that I had just heard. Ah, Mr. Schillings, we've been expecting you. Boom, passing over to Ben.
1: Disoriented, my eyes slowly opened. I winced as harsh white light shone down on me. It, was only, it only took a moment for me to adjust, and when they did, my throat dropped in my stomach. Standing above me was a man. Despite my disoriented state, I tried to quickly take him in. He looked old and white, receding hair and a white, neat beard. He was wearing all white to his button-up shirt, to his pants, his coat, even his tie. He was staring at me, a small smile on his face, trying to gauge my reaction as I could hear other people bustling around behind me. What the actual F was happening? Stay calm, I told myself. You're not in danger. If they wanted to kill you, they would have by now. I tried to to reason. The man was still staring at me, and I was too afraid to break eye contact with him, too afraid to look around. From what I could see out of my peripheral vision, my room was stark white and filled with what looked like hospital equipment. The man was still staring at me. Maybe he wouldn't speak until I would. You've been expecting me, I asked, trying to keep the fear and apprehension out of my voice. The man smiled wider, reaching next to him for something. A clipboard. Pass it off.
0: "'Oh, yes. We've been expecting you for a while. "'I know you must have quite a few questions, but don't worry. "'All of them will be answered in due time,' he said, giving a small laugh. "'I was beyond unnerved. His laugh was too high, too long for it to seem natural. "'I desperately wanted him to stop smiling. "'I finally worked up the courage to avert my eyes to try and take in my surroundings.' It did look like a hospital room, but the equipment was different, unlike anything I'd ever seen. What it looked like nurses were milling around with clipboards all dressed in white, everything in the room was white, which is why it caught me off guard And when my eyes fell into the blood red door on the far side of the room, the same door that Avery and I had just come through. Avery. 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 Avery wasn't in the room. I bolted upright, relieved to find I wasn't tied down, which honestly was a thought that crossed my mind. I looked around once, twice, and a third time. Avery wasn't in here. I looked at the man for the first time since my arrival here, feeling angry. "Where is Avery?" I demanded, my voice stronger than it had been a minute ago. The man simply looked at me, that creepy effing smile so plastered on his face. "Mr. Anderson is quite fine, however, I will ask that you don't make sudden movements. You will disrupt your healing process." Healing process? Crap! How had I forgotten?
1: I looked down, lifting up blood sta- my blood-stained shirt up. The shake in my hands noticeable. How was this possible? The spot where I had been well. Impaled, had nothing except a long scar. I ran my fingers over it gently and the indent noticeable, but nothing else. I looked up quickly, to which the man put his hands up. Questions will be answered. How about we take a walk? Take a walk? Was he serious? A small naggy voice in my head told me that, that it probably wasn't the best idea to refuse him, especially since he made it sound like it wasn't really a question where my answer mattered. But I didn't care. No, I said forcefully, renewed confidence flowing through me. I want to see Avery, I said. My voice slow and measured, laced with anger, with stubbornness. For the first time I had seen him, the man's smile flickered, annoyance and impatience crossing his face. Clipboard still in hand, he started to cross the other side of the room, where a keypad was attached to the wall. The wall was entirely made up of those clouded glass panes, the ones they put on houses for privacy. I slowly pushed myself off the bed, following him, trying not to look at the other people in the room. The man stood in front of it, slowly putting in a password. I wasn't sure if I wanted to get closer. Was he going to let me see Avery? Or was this some kind of prison cell to throw me into for not doing what he asked? The man's back was turned, and that's when I saw something on the table. It was Avery's gun, the one he used to kill the lost ones. And of course, it was only a regular gun. I made a decision quickly. Silently reaching out and taking it, stuffing it into the back waistband of my jeans, before quickly hurrying over to where the man was, praying he didn't notice anything, or the nurses. A few seconds passed, and no one said anything. No sirens sounded. I breathed a silent sigh of relief. As the man finished putting in the password, the clouded gas started to clear. The man silently moved to the side to let me see. I slowly walked forward and he just reached the glass as it finally became clear. And I could see into it. My voice seemed stuck in my throat. It was a dark room, smaller than the one we were in, with more equipment. More of the equipment that I didn't recognize. The room was bare, furniture beside the bed, which was occupied by Avery. His eyes were closed, a mask covering attached to his mouth and attached his his mouth that was attached to one of the machines next to him. One of his ankles was bandaged, one of the last ones had got him. He wasn't moving. My brain didn't want to accept what I was seeing. I was refusing to deal with the wave of emotions that had started to rise up, invading my thoughts. It, is he? I choked out. My eyes now leaving him. He is fine. The man said, turning to face him. I saw that he was still smiling. I wanted to hit him. He's sleeping. I would be more than happy to explain things to you. Would you care to take a walk? He asked. His smile on I
0: didn't trust him. I didn't trust whatever this place was, whoever was here. The only person I trusted right now was Avery, but I couldn't get to him. I'd have to fix that. You just have to be patient, I told myself. Wait for the right opportunity, and you can get him and find a way out of here. I made a decision. I'd have to play along for a little bit. Looking at the man, I plastered on a smile to match his. I'd love to, I said, smiling. The man beamed. I'd never been good in pressured situations, or lying for that matter. However, it was the thought of Avery lying motionless in that bed that allowed me to fall into step next to the man, to smile like everything was normal. It was the sight of Avery lying in the bed that made me my nerves settle enough for me to pay attention to potential exits as we walked, trying to draw a mental map of the place. After all he had done for me, I owed it to him to find a way to get us out of here. So I imagine you have a few questions, the man said, leading us out of the room and down a long narrow hallway. I tried to not wince with each step because of my stomach, but it was a hell of a lot better than the alternative. "'You can say that,' I replied. "'The man chuckled. "'I'll try to answer your questions to the best of my ability. "'What would you like to know first? "'I was trying to focus on finding a way out of here, "'but I also had questions. "'So many questions.' "'I took a breath. "'What did you mean when you said you had been expecting me?' "'Where even am I?' I asked, the words tumbling out of my mouth. "'We turned right, around a corner. "'Well, I'll try to make it simple. "'The fact of the matter is, Theodore, "'is that you have what it takes to be a matchmaker,' he said, "'a small smile resting on his face as he glanced at me. "'Internally, I froze.' However, I tried to keep my feet moving. What? What are you talking about? I asked, bewildered. Again, I'll try to keep it simple, but keep in mind the real answer is quite complex, the man said as we turned each corner, left. Each citizen born within city grounds has the ability to carry a gene, one of the ones needed for the ability to possess the powers needed for a matchmaker. Sometimes people don't exhibit the abilities when they are born, or at all, even if they have the gene that carries the ability. It is because of that the citizens are required to have blood work done so that we can know who is carrying the gene, he said, his voice starting to sound flat, monotone. We use the blood work to identify the people so that later we can seek them out and begin training them to unlock the potential given to them. These people serve as the matchmakers, the leaders of the city, he said, this time giving me a meaningful glance. We're planning to seek you out after realizing that you carried this gene, however, we hit a little snag when you broke one of the rules and most unfortunately got transported to below, he said with a small smile, but still smiling. Luckily, you seem to manage just fine, not without a few bumps along the way, of course," he said with a laugh, motioning to my stomach. A sickening sense of unease was starting to wash over me. Something wasn't right with the way that he was talking, the way that he was laughing, the fact that he wouldn't stop effing smiling. So you know what happens to the people you throw in there, the people that get down there by accident, I asked, trying to sound innocent, but I couldn't help the anger that was sneaking into my voice. Luckily for me, however, the man didn't seem to notice. Well, of course, the people that we put down there are a danger to our society, they are risks and here we don't take risks. Any citizen that doesn't follow the rules provided in my own opinion is just as bad as people that get put there. We have rules in place for a reason, to protect the citizens. They are not for laughs or for fun. Anyone who does not take that seriously has no place in our community," he said with a smile. I would have given anything right then to hit him as hard as I could.
1: I needed to change the subject. I couldn't let my emotions get the better of me. Not when so much was at risk. Took another right turn. It was this turn that made me realize that I hadn't seen another person anywhere since we left the room that we were in. It just, added to me to the gro- it just added to the growing list of reasons I needed to get me and Avery out of there. How did you heal me? I asked quietly. State-of-the-art technology, the man said loudly, his words echoing off the wall, startling me slightly. The F? We have perfected almost all things, including health and safety. Our state-of-the-art technology allows for healing and recovery unmatched by anyone else. Injuries such as yours can be healed completely in a matter of hours," he said. His smile growing even wider than it had before. It sounded like he was reading from a pamphlet. We turned another corner. It's time to face a dead end, where we were greeted by a handsome set of mahogany doors. I opened my mouth to ask another question, but the man held his hand up. Unfortunately, I cannot provide you with any more information. You are to wait here until a matchmaker comes to start you on your training and give you a more detailed explanation. He said, moving to push the door open. My mind spun, panic seizing my throat. Wait, what? I haven't agreed to anything. My parents will be looking for my friends. They'll notice I'm gone, I said. My words trailing off as the man shook his head, smiling. No need to worry. Your family and friends' memories will be modified. Of course, however, the choice to become a matchmaker is up to you. It is, of course, the highest honor. You'll have everything you've ever desired or dreamed about. Your life will be perfect, he said. Won't pretend that I didn't think about it, and I'm ashamed to admit that I considered it even for a second. A perfect life, everything taken care of for me? The ability to set people up with love, set them up with happiness, a perfect life? I paused. Something rising up, blocking these intruding thoughts. What about Avery? I asked softly. The man smiled, shaking his head. He's no longer your concern. I thought of Avery. I thought of the mask over his mouth, and some his unmoving body. I thought of his smile, his laugh, the way he held me, protecting me, the warmth that filled me whenever he touched me, the way he looked at me when I, when he thought I didn't notice. He had the chance to leave me behind, to lead me to the lost ones. He could have let me drown. He could have let me drown, let me fend for myself. The door was right in front of me. Once I went in that room, I wouldn't have to forget anything ever again. A wave of certainty slowly washed over me. Avery's guilt. Gun felt heavy in my waistband. The man looked at me, smiled. A smile still plastered on his face. I could hear my heartbeat thundering in my ears. Go to hell, I said softly. A flicker of confusion passed over the man's face. Sorry? I reached behind me, my hand closing around the handle as I pulled it out, clicking the safety off, and then leveled it at the man. For the first time since I saw him, the man's smile fell. I said, Go to hell. I snarled, my finger closing around the trigger. Somewhere in my head, before I even pulled out the gun, I knew there wouldn't be any blood. I was correct. Sparks flew as the man stumbled back against the wall, smoke starting to come out of the place in his chest where I shot him. Wires of all colors visible through the hole, the man's eyes opened with shock and unblinking as he slid to the floor, his head jerking a few times before he lay unmoving. A second later, sirens began to sound as the lights of the war turned red. I turned and started to run.
0: My mind just reeling as I desperately tried to remember which way we came, all other thoughts being pushed aside. I didn't know how many bullets were left in the gun, and I didn't stop to check. Left. Right. Straight down this hallway. Another left. I was sprinting as fast as I could, my sneakers squeaking against the white tile floors. Above me, the noise was thunderous and sounded like people were running. I tried to run faster. Avery, I thought to myself, you have to get to Avery. I turned left again and I knew I had gone the right way. I burst into the room where I came from, the room now empty, no nurses or anyone in sight. I ran towards the glass wall where Avery lay on the other side. I'm coming, I said softly, knowing that he couldn't hear me. I put the gun down, not waiting to waste any bullets. I grabbed a chair, adrenaline coursing through me as I swung it at the wall. Again and again, cracks forming each time I hit it. Each hit was fueled by emotions I would pushed down. This is for the lies, I thought as I swung. This is for the pain, I swung. I paused, panting. This is for Avery. I took a final swing, the glass shattering around me. Throwing the chair away, I ran over the broken glass to Avery. With shaking hands, I took off the mask, throwing it aside. I put my hand to his face, my entire body shaking. Wake up, come on, wake up, I whispered, shaking his shoulders lightly. Avery, please, please wake up, I whispered, feeling a sob, trying to creep up in my throat. You can't leave me, I whispered, my voice shaking. I need you, Avery, please, please wake up. Tears started to cloud my vision, which is why I thought the flutter of his eyelids was my mind-playing tricks, showing me what I wanted to see. Theo? My body froze, my breath still, his eyes opened slowly, and it wasn't until I saw the dark navy blue of them that I allowed myself to breathe, a short, relieved breath escaping out of me. I couldn't let myself go through what I was feeling right now. There was no time. Avery, I need you to listen to me. You need to get up. Can you get up? I asked quickly, my eyes glancing over him. I think so. Theo, what is going... Do you trust me? I asked suddenly, the irony of it not being lost on me. Avery didn't hesitate before he nodded. Then please, questions later, we need to go. Avery gave me a quick searching look before nodding again. I took his hand, helping him out of the bed, noticing his wince when he put pressure on his foot. I'm fine, he said, noticing my look. Lead the way, he said softly. It was then I realized that I had his full, unwavering trust. I felt a surge of admiration for him. I nodded, walking a few paces and picking up the gun that I had set down. I noticed Avery was limping on his injured foot. Without a word, I crossed over to him, sliding an arm under his so that he could put some of his weight on, my, on me. Thanks, he said quietly. I nodded, of course. The sirens didn't stop as we pushed our way out the door, muffled the yells and voices were coming from behind us. We have to hurry, I said, Avery picking up the voice, or the unease in my voice, and tried to walk as fast as he could on his foot. Is there an exit? He said, wincing as we half ran down the halls. There is, I think I saw one around here. I said looking around, and to my relief, saw one of those glowing red signs for an emergency exit at the end of the hallway we were in. There, come on, I said, hearing the voices get louder. We were only a few hundred feet away, we could make it, we could make it. Loud cracks suddenly filled the air as I realized the people behind us were starting to shoot, bullets ricocheting off the walls. I had a feeling that as soon as we got to the exit, they wouldn't be able to follow. We ducked our heads as we tried to zigzag down the hall. Fleetingly, I turned my head to look at the people who were shouting. I wanted to look away instantly. I wasn't sure if you could call them people. They were in all black, their limbs too long, too thin Masks and helmets covering each one's head Another crack sounded and I felt Avery slip out from under me as he screamed It only took me a second to realize what happened Avery, Avery, no! I yelled Turning around to see five people in all black coming towards us And more far behind them I held up the gun, praying that there were enough bullets As I fired off rounds, watching the same sparks appear as they did with the old man Avery was on the ground, clutching his leg and groaning I tried to pull the trigger again, but the gun clicked empty Frick
1: Frick Avery heard the gun click empty. Theo, go, go, there's too many, the door's right there. Just go, I can't move, he said groaning, his hands painted red with blood. My heartbeat thundered in my ears. No, no, in your own words, Avery, F that, there's no way in hell I'm leaving you here. I said forcefully despite the plan, I could have sworn I saw a flicker of a smile on Avery's face. Give me your arm, I said, hurried, glancing up, seeing more of those things starting to turn the corner. Panic seized me as I grabbed Avery's arm as I started to pull him toward the door. Only a few feet away, we could make it. More of the things in black were now jumping over the bodies of the ones that I shot. I turned around, reaching for the door handle as the things raised their guns. With a final yank, I pulled Avery's toward me as I opened the door, pulling us both through the door, slammed, closed. I felt myself land on hard on a rocky surface, but I wasn't paying attention. My eyes were on the door, which now looked like a wooden board against a rundown building. A second passed, then a few more. No one came out. Looking around frantically, I spotted Avery on the ground next to me, looking like he was going to pass out, blood flowing freely from his leg. I scrambled toward him. No, 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 Avery, I said, my voice shaking as he looked up at me. Theo, he started to say, No, 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 don't talk. I'm going to get you help. Do you hear that? He asked quietly, cutting me off. I paused, listening as I looked around. We were in what looked like an alley. The sounds of car and people chattering, filling my ears. The familiar scent of pizza due to the overabundance of pizza shops filling my nose. My breath caught air in my throat. We were home.
0: "'Babe, come on, we're going to be late!' I yelled across the house as I started to button up my shirt, my finger lingering for half a second over the scar that ran across the middle of my stomach before buttoning my shirt up over it. I try not to think much about what happened five years ago. Some of the blanks I filled in for myself, but there were some questions that were best left unanswered. "'We are not going to be late. Don't be so dramatic.' A voice came from around the corner. I turned, smiling at the familiar sight of a tall figure with dark hair. Avery, I swear, you try to make us late every time we go anywhere with my dad, I said, facing back towards the mirror, reaching for another button before I felt someone's hands there instead. Avery turned me towards him, starting to do my buttons up himself. That's crazy, and even if I was, I would be justified in doing so. Your dad scares me, he said with a small smile, his fingers brushing lightly against my skin as he continued to do up the buttons. That's ridiculous. You've known him for five years, I said, rolling my eyes to distract him from the fact that, even after five years, his touch still made my heartbeat feel like it was going to escape out of my chest. Still scary. Also, why do your parents have to fly down every year for your birthday, he mumbled. Because they couldn't fathom the fact that we moved so far away. Also, I like seeing you get dressed up, which you only do if they're around. I say, a smile tugging on the corner of my lips. Avery paused for a moment, bringing his eyes up to meet mine. Yeah, he said quietly, smiling enough that I could see his dimples. I swallowed. Yeah, I said back, smiling as he finished doing up my buttons. I put my arms around him. I'll remind you that our anniversary is next week, which is celebrate without any family members if it makes you feel better," I said, my finger absentmindedly running over his shoulder.
1: i still like to debate about what exactly our anniversary should be, for so the day we got married or the day when you realized life was just a hollow shell unless you knew my heart was beating somewhere nearby, he said with a teasing smile. I couldn't help but match his smile and I rolled my eyes, whatever you want, although that would make our anniversary the same day as my birthday, which means we'd celebrate it with my parents, I said, moving my hands up across his shoulders to his chest. Mm, definitely not. I wouldn't want to give your anniversary parent in front of your parents. He said, grinning. I smacked him lightly on the chest. His head, my hand slid into his hair, pulling him down for a kiss, holding it for a moment and let myself enjoy the familiar shot of warmth that came with it before pulling away. Come on, we don't want to be late. I can't help but remember thinking at the moment how perfectly beautiful life was, despite all that we had gone through. In that moment, life was without issue. Theodore Aiden, dot, dot, dot.
0: And then, and then the dots are Morse code and they say acronym and I don't know what that means but I think maybe their names are acronyms. Dun dun dun.
1: That was a long flippin' story bro.
0: Yeah it was flippin' crazy. Hope you guys enjoyed it.
1: Well. Thanks.
0: That was, okay. that was another Barely
1: Ghoul episode for you. Yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Very long. Yeah, it's very long, but uh, we'll have more coming from you guys for you guys in the next little bit. But for now, thanks for listening to the Barely Ghoul podcast. Yeah, we podcast. got
0: more, more Barely Ghoul surprised. Thanks for listening. We got, uh, we have the Barely Ghoul Extravaganza that'll be happening at the end of the month, and then, uh, and then as soon as October's over, boom, forget about it. No more Barely Ghoul. Forget but for about it. For right now, it. thanks for listening. No more scary. Hopefully, you're scared and. Uh, Super scary. <laughs> Super scary. A, a man can't, kissing a man? Wait. I'm terrified.
1: <laughs> Horrifying because okay. of the gay. All right. K- bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs> I've been barely cool for a while. i cool, smile. But I'm with all really well, myself. If nobody else. Is, Because of the gay